Good morning. This is the second you know, week uh, series I started last week called None Like Him, which is a character study uh, in the person of God. Let me quickly make mention one more time a couple books that were inspirations. You may find interest in looking into them. Uh, take this a little bit further. One is a book where I borrowed the title of the series from None Like Him. It's 10 Ways God is Different from Us looking at the characteristics of God, written by Jen Wilkin, recent book. Another one, um, a classic, this was written uh, years ago, uh, but it's been rewritten, republished um, a couple times, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, so I want to make reference, give credit to those books, encourage you. Character of God, you know, we as, we as uh, Bible-believing Christians, those of us in this room, we would say, you know, that uh, a religious system, you know, of do's and don'ts, right, really is kind of a dead end, right? I grew up kind of in a system of that sort, and that's even true if that religious system is Christian, right? There's lots of Christian uh, teaching and systems uh, that are, are still about do's and don'ts. You're gaining God's acceptance by what you do uh, and uh, what you don't do, okay? But... Uh, what it really means to be a Christian, I think what, what many of us would say, what I would say, is not about um, some sort of uh, system of do's and don'ts, but it's about having a personal uh, relationship with God. That is, we communicate with God, you actually communicate with God, I communicate, we hear from God, it's a relationship with God, and through that experience, um, our life changes as a result. So that's what I think many of us believe. It's what I believe, right? But that assumes to the, to the essence of what this series is about, what I'm going to say this morning. It assumes that we actually know who God is, right? We're going to have a personal relationship with him. It's that we actually know who is it that we're having a relationship with, right? Is God this sort of big idea? Is he what we've learned about him on the street? Is he some version of himself? Or is, do we know him for who the Bible actually is? says that he is. I've, I've talked to many people in my ministry, both in the church and outside of the church, married people who say to me, you know, uh, after 10 or 20 years of marriage, you know, pastor, honestly, they're having troubles with saying, he's not the man um, that I married. She's not the woman that I married. I don't know who they are anymore, right? Have you heard that before? Probably some of you have. Well, if that's true with people... I know that it's often uh, true in our relationship with God. And if you really want to experience the life change that the Bible talks about in a personal relationship with God, we need to know him for who he truly is. So that's the essence of this series. Last week was sort of my introduction, and I said this. The title of the message was, uh, God is infinite. That is, God has no limits, right? That was the introduction, that we serve a God in that way, He's very different from every single one of us here, right? Because our lives, no matter who you are, no matter how smart, no matter how wise, no matter how you know, mature you are, we are defined by our limits, right? Our life is defined by limits. But God, at least the God of the scriptures, the one that you and I offer, are open to, a, we're invited into a relationship with, he is a God of no limits. He's limitless. That was by introduction. And this morning... I want to talk about the characteristic of God's self-existence. That is to say that God uh, was not created 
And he needs nothing. He needs no one. God's self-existence, or said another way, the God of infinite or limitless creativity. The God of limitless creativity. Couple verses. First one, John chapter one. You have a copy of the New Testament or the copy of the Bible with you. Familiar verse. John chapter one. The opening, really, of the New Testament. You might say, uh, in John's Gospel, the first four verses. John one verses one through four. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and though through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, right? This is the, not only the, you know, the, 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 the New Testament opens with, with, with the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John opens, no question about this. Even, even if you have no history in the Bible, you could probably, uh, you know, figure this out or this might dawn on you. But certainly anyone that knew the Bible, that is the Old Testament, would know that John is very purposefully restating the very words that begin the Bible. Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And John uses those very same words to make a point. And the point simply is this, a pretty big point that he's talking about how God did that. How did God um, create the world? But it's very important that we understand this. And he wants to make a point, we'll get to it in a second, about Jesus but it's, it, it, it's making a point about God, and so is the, 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 you know, the Moses as he opens the Bible in the book of Genesis, and that is this. God has no beginning, right? He has no explanation given for God, right? It doesn't say, here's the backstory on God, here's the history on God. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. We don't get a backstory on God. We don't get a history on God. There is, but there are a couple things that are emphasized in this passage that are worth uh, are, uh, mentioning this morning. Number one, God created the world, right? That's what John wants us to know. That's what Moses wants us to know. In, in this sense, God is not part of the world, and the world is not part of God, Right? That is to say, yes, he created the world. And yes, even the book, the Bible, the Romans says, we can look at nature and we can say, somebody must have created this. Who created this beautiful environment? Who created this beautiful mountains and these oceans? And by the way, who created humanity and the mind and the heart and people? There must be a creator. We ought to have that kind of response. But God is not part of the world, and the world is not part of God. God is not the ocean. God is not the mountains. God is not the stars, right? Some people think that he is. So God is not the world. But the second thing that this passage John wants to point out is that God created all things through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. In the beginning, he's channeling Genesis 1, or, or referring to it, was the word Right, creation. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, later, he didn't read it. He'll say, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. His name is Jesus. But through him, right, Jesus Christ was the agent, we're learning in this passage, of all creation. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. Nothing. He was the agent. For everything that was created, he was the agent not only for the natural world, 
but for humanity, for the mystery of human relationships, for the life of the mind, all beauty, all knowledge, right? Jesus Christ was the agent of all creation. But here's the point, perhaps, for our time. Jesus didn't just create them, right? God the Son, the Son of God. It is his nature to create. That's really what I think this this big idea is. It's God's nature to create. Now, why is that so? Why is it so important? You know, we just sang a minute ago, he is my beginning, he is my end, he is my future, he is my past, right? God the creator. Why is it so important for us to, to believe, to know that the Bible teaches that it is God's nature, right? It's not something just that he does. It's part of who he is. He speaks things into life, not only the natural world, but the supernatural world, the spiritual world as well. Why is it so important? This is why. Because we are prone, ask yourself this, to worship created things, you and me, right? Christians and non-Christians. We are prone to worship things like this, whether it's the stars or the Grand Canyon, whether it's other people, listen, whether it's the work of our own hands instead of the God who created them. And when we do that, right, when we do that, we do harm to ourselves. Let me just read an extended passage to make this point from Jen's book. Listen carefully. See if, ask yourself if this is true in the world that we live in. Worshiping the creation rather than the creator does not cause us to protect life or steward creation. It causes us to devalue life and consume creation. This is because all worship of the creation is actually a veiled form of self-worship. Consider abortion, human trafficking, domestic violence, and child abuse as daily evidences of our disordered worship of people. Rather than treating people as image bearers, we treat them as consumable and expendable, only holding value insofar as they feed our desires. Dig through the landfills and gaze on the shattered landscapes to discern our disordered worship of things. Rather than stewarding resources, we treat them as consumable, expendable, only holding value insofar as they satiate our cravings. When we attach our worship to something less than God, this is the point, we end up consuming and casting off the person or thing we worship in his place. And in the consuming and in the casting off, we reveal that the true object of our worship is ourselves. Here's the point. This is what God, this is what we're, we're being invited into doing. If you believe that God is self-existent, that God didn't have a beginning, he didn't have a creator, but it is his nature to create, right? It is his nature to create. When we look at the created world, right? Not just the mountains, not just the oceans, not just the stars, but when you look at other people, right? That ought to move us to worship the one who created it, right? Worship the one who created it. ought to give us, it ought to sober our hearts. It ought to, it ought to inspire um, respect in the things that God has created and respect in other people as we worship God, the one who created it. Second thing this passage uh, will tell us is the world that God created, this is the big idea, only makes sense in Jesus, right? The world 
that God created only makes sense in Jesus. Another passage. Colossians chapter 1. Pay careful attention to this passage. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Speaking of Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Right? For in Him, in Jesus, right, the Son, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, can expand it, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all Himself, sorry, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now this passage not only affirms what John's passage said, right? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, created all things, but it says, such more, says so much more. Jesus didn't just create all things. That's what this passage says, right? For in him all things were created, verse 16. He didn't just create all things. Watch this. He's at the center of all. Thing. See, some people would say this to me. You've heard this before. You know, this is what God did. I do believe in God, and I do believe in there's a creator, but see, I can't make sense. I have some people very close in my life that tell me this. I can't make sense in a broken world that seems like a train wreck, right? It's broken. It doesn't make any sense. There's so many problems, so many sufferings. So what I'm going to say is this. God, start, God created the world. But after, you know, after he, he created everything, and, you know, the mountains and the, in, in, in the hills and the valleys and the people and the roads and everything, then he stepped back, right? And he said, let's just see how this thing works out, right? And I'll see you in heaven. But that's not what this says. God didn't just create the world. He didn't just create everything. He is, in Jesus, at the center of all things. He is the firstborn. Now, if you're looking at verse 15 over creation. He's not the firstborn of creation because what the Bible affirms is that Jesus, God's son, he, isn't, he wasn't you know, just like a superhuman. He's, he's like you and me except much better. He's a step above all other men and women. No, he's not the firstborn of creation. He's using the idea of firstborn here in the sense the way the Old Testament does it. It's called the law of primogeniture. It just simply means the firstborn of a family. Back, you look at the book of Genesis. They have the full inheritance. They are number one. They have top priority. They are the most important in that world. It's a way of talking about level of importance. He is the firstborn over all creation, right? Verse 17, he is before all things. Think about that. He's talking about everything, not only things in, in earth, but in heaven, thrones and powers and rulers, even spiritual realities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. Now watch this. This is like, you know, uh, um, I don't even know, metaphysics. I don't know. And in him, all things hold together. What does that mean? 
What is he trying to say? I think he's trying to say this. It's only in knowing him, right, that the world and your life and my life make any sense. That's what he's saying. Let me tell you, if you, if you have people in your life, Jana talked about, you know, friends and neighbors and, you know, alpha. If you have friends and people in your life, family members in your life who say, listen, Rob, I really appreciate, I had a close member of my family say this to me maybe two years ago and said, listen, I wish I could believe what you believe, right? Not anti, not against it. I wish I could believe what you believe, but I can't believe what you believe because when I look, the, when I look reality in the face, I can't add it up. It doesn't make any sense to me. I cannot reconcile a loving God with a world that's such a mess, right? And I have great sympathy for that. And what, what Paul the Apostle is saying here, what John the Apostle is saying in the words we read is this. Jesus Christ isn't just the creator of the world. He's at the center of all things. And it's only in truly knowing him, right? That's what the Bible invites us to. That the world that we live in and my life actually makes sense. For God was pleased, the Father, to have all his fullness dwell in him. It doesn't just say that Jesus is the Son of God like it's, you know, there's three pieces to a pie, right? And it's Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. He's saying everything, all the fullness of God, all dwelled in the person of Jesus, right? It's an amazing Difficult truth, but that's what he's saying. All the fullness dwells in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through his blood. Listen, there's a lot in this life that rubs me the wrong way. There's a lot that I can't give explanation to, but what Paul is saying is this. Jesus Christ is not only the creator of everything, he's at the center of everything. And what the, this broken world is, what my broken and imperfect life, God has sent his son on a mission. That mission was achieved largely on, when he shed his blood on the cross. But it's only in knowing him and seeing him at the center of reality that you can understand your life and you can understand what's going on in the world. He is the interpretive key the creator, right? It's almost like this. Why are people so frustrated? Why is it so difficult? Because it's like they've been given a thousand puzzle pieces, right? But no one's got the cover of the puzzle box, right? Jesus Christ is the interpretive key. That's what he's saying. You know, for the first time, I just read this this week in an article. For the first time since the 1960s, life expectancy in the good old United States of America has gone down, right? For two years that they've done research, 1915, or 1915, 2015 and 2016. Life expectancy in this great country, in this amazing health, you know, uh, the, the health care that we have and all the sophistication, life expectancy in America, you know why it's gone down? Any guesses? The opioid crisis. The two biggest causes of death are still number one and number two are cancer and heart disease, but there have been tremendous gains in the last 50 years in both mitigating cancer and heart disease, but just in the last two, three years, the opioid crisis has overcome the gains in those two areas. In fact, in 2016, I believe if I'm right, over 60,000 people 
um, succumbed to the opioid crisis. And people dying in the opioid crisis now is higher than the death rate at the peak of the AIDS virus. Those of you whose memories go back that far. Also, since 2007, not that long ago, 10 years ago, um, there's been a dramatic increase in teen suicide in this country. Teen suicide between the ages of 15 and 24, so it's more than teens, between the ages of 15 and 24, it's the number two cause of death in this country. Now, let me say something both about the opioid crisis and teen suicide because it's touched lives in this room. I'm not saying it's a simple solution. I'm not saying it's all some simple thing, and, and, and I know it's complicated and multifactorial, but let me say this. It tells me at least one thing, because it wasn't always true, that people today, right, our culture is dying not simply because people have the inability to live, but they've lost the will to live. And when I talk to people, I don't know what it's like, the students that you talk to or any people that talk to, it's because they look at the world, a world that's come increasingly seemed to have lost its mind, where things are falling apart, where families are falling apart, where, the, where our culture seems to be falling apart, and say, it doesn't make any sense, right? I don't see a reason for living. And what the Bible tells us is Jesus Christ is the reason, Right? The world that God created only makes sense in Jesus. Now, what's the application of this sobering truth, right? Here, what's, the, what's this other point he's trying to make here? If Jesus Christ created everything, if he's the creator, my creator, your creator, it means he owns everything. That's the point, right? Including you. If Jesus Christ created everything, right? Every, nothing that has been made, he's made everything that's been made, nothing that's not been, however that verse goes, you get the idea, right? He's made it all, everything, including me, including you, right? He made it all. If he made it all, he owns everything. And what is the implication? Unless he's truly at the center of your life, that's the point, you will not know who you are, Right? That's what he's saying. That's the great teaching of Luke 9. Unless you lose your life, you'll not find it, right? Unless he is at the center of your life, you will not know who you are. Your life will not really make sense. Watch this big idea. Jesus Christ doesn't just need to be first in your life. Like, it's Jesus, then it's my spouse, then it's Earth, my family. I get that. No, no. Jesus doesn't just need to be first in your life. He needs to be first in everything in your life. He needs to be first in your life, but he needs to be first in your marriage. He needs to be first in your parenting. He needs to be first in your career. He needs to be first in your thought life. And unless Jesus Christ is not only first, he must have supremacy in all things because he created you, and he's not first in everything in your life, your life will not make sense because he's the interpretive key. He's at the heart. He's not just the creator of all things. He's at the center of all things. You, this is why this is an important truth. How's theology practical? You were made for him. Get it? You were made for him. And it's only when you know him and he becomes the center of your life that your life makes sense, that my life makes sense. I heard this illustration a number of times. Uh, 
quoted, but I'm gonna, it's, it's worth sharing with you. It was by a woman who was speaking on this passage from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I don't even know if she's alive anymore, but I've heard it a couple times, but it's worth quoting. Her name was Barbara Boyd. Um, this is what she said talking about this passage. She obviously has a science background. If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, was the thickness of a piece of paper, the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. Take her word for it. And our galaxy is less than a speck of dust in the part of the universe that we can see. And that part of the universe might just be a speck of dust compared to all of the universe. Now, point. If Jesus is the Son of God who holds all this together with his power, is this the kind of person that you ask into your life to be your personal assistant, right? <laughs> think about that. This is the problem. I think we live in a very individualized culture. I've said this as a worship series last week. I think many of us come to faith because we live in a culture that's hyper-individualized. It's all about me. And I think many of us come to the church and we say, listen, this is what it's about. The church is about God um, is here to meet my needs. Right? God is here to meet my needs because it's about me. And as soon as God doesn't meet my needs in some way, I talk to people all the time, if he doesn't, you know, something in my marriage or something in my career, or, you know, God's there to meet my needs, when God stops meeting my needs, then I say, I don't want this anymore, right? I'm all done, you know. See at Easter, if ever, you know, I'm done. People say that all the time. But see, that's misunder... It's not, Jesus Christ not only is the center of your life, he needs to be first in your life, he needs to be first in everything in your life. Right? You know what the secret and the meaning of life is? You were created for him. It's not about God serving your needs. It's about true life is only found when you serve him, right? The people who are truly serving him, where God is, Jesus is not only first of priorities in my life, he's first in everything in my life, then I'll find the meaning of life. That's what Jesus is saying. You were created for him. Last point. God specializes in bringing something from nothing. Right? This is the point. God specializes. This is what creation is. Creation isn't just something he does. Creation is his nature. It's his nature to create. And he's still creating. Right? We are new creatures in Christ. Old things pass away, all things become new. God specializes in bringing something from him. The, this is what the gospel is about. This is what's amazing about Christianity. And I would say this, if we knew this truthfully, not only Christians but non-Christians, if we truly understood what the gospel is about, that God's, his unique nature, the gospel, is about creating something from nothing, we could not build churches fast enough. But see, people don't know that. Some of us don't know that. God specializes in bringing something. Now, let me illustrate this very quickly. With a, just let me illustrate the idea, and then I want to close by um, applying it to a deeper level. God specializes in bringing something from nothing. This, this came to me this week in a funny but, but powerful way. A couple weeks ago, I'm driving my car 
and uh, I got my engine light comes on. Ever have that happen to you? You know, the, end, the old, uh, you know, whatever, uh, engine light comes on. And most of the time, you just ignore those things, right? <laughs> but in my case, my car was, uh, my power, I, I live on a hill, and um, even going up my hill was tough, so I go to the dealer. Had to. I mean, literally, my car was, was struggling to make it up my little hill in my, my street. And the guy checks it out, says, come, the, uh, at the end of the day, I come, he goes, well, uh, I got some bad news for you. You were right, the engine light, it's, it's doing its thing, and your turbo, I have a turbocharger, turbocharger um, is busted, uh, but it's connected to a really big part of your engine, it's going to cost you $3,500. Now, I, I did, you know, what some of us do at the doctors, and I just, I just did the stare, you know, I just like... I mean, 60 seconds went by, and I just looked at this guy like, there's got to be a way out of this, you know? <laughs> and he just, you know, he was just like, he, 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 this guy was so, you know, unflappable. He's just like, you, know, you want me to do this? And I said, I said, Ian, his name was Ian, I said, Ian, there's got to be a way around this. I don't have $3,500. And he's, I go, what about the warranty? Now, I knew that my car was only 3,000 miles over the warranty, um, but it was also a tw almost 12 months. You know, it's, it's so many months and so many. But I sort of focused on that. I go, we're only 3,000 miles over. because yeah, but you're a year over. And, it's, and, and I said, Can, can't we do something? And he said, well, uh, really, no. But... Um, he said, you can call, get this. Now, who, who, he goes, if you want to call corporate, I mean, co that's like saying call the government or for the IRS, right? <laughs> he goes, if you want to call corporate, sometimes they might help you out. He said, are you the original owner? And I said, well, no, I'm not. And he said, um, you know, I bought it used. And he goes, well, they probably won't help you. And I go, well, give me the number anyway. And so I call them, long story short, this guy answers the phone, it's, I have a, a Land Rover, and he's like, you know, cheerio, and you know, he's this guy, I'm thinking, who's this guy? He's going to help me from London or wherever he is? And, uh, but he's kind of nice, and he says, well, I can't, you'll have to green light the, the, the uh, repair, but um, if it, so I can't do anything until it's done, but I'll look into it, I'll call it, I'll create a case file for you, and I'm just like, thank you, and I love England, and I, you're wonderful, you know. But I didn't think I was going to get anything. But anyway, the guy, it takes two weeks. For they're so busy. They finally get it done. But all through this time, he emails me and sends me, you know, an email. We're looking into it, you know, sir, Mr. Catalani, whatever. And we'll let you know when it happens. So finally comes the day, right, for my $3,500 bill, right? And I walk in. This was just last Thursday to the dealer, and I sit down. And it's funny, the guy, the Mr. You know, Cheery wasn't even there. You know, it was some other guy I'd never seen before at this place. And he says, oh, I just need to get you this, that, and you need to sign the paper. He goes, oh, by the way, I talked to corporate. He says, um, they're going to pay 90% of the whole thing. I thought, honestly, this is no lie. I said, if it was okay right now, I would kiss you. <laughs> and it was funny because this guy was not this other guy who's a young guy. This guy was like, you know, think Captain Kangaroo, you know, and I thought to myself, this is an angel that God had sent. But here's the interesting thing. I was so blown away by that, right, that I, 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 when I didn't even look at the bill until hours later when I looked at the bill. It said parts zero, labor zero. And the guy called me, 
this, this nice guy from uh, the company, and he said, I just want to follow up with you. And he said, really, we paid for the whole thing, but we, we charge you 10% because it allows you to make sure that, you, that that's the limited threshold so that you get the warranty, right? Okay. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel guy, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying God's going to do that for you, but it illustrates something. God, and I, did you say, Pastor, did you pray about that? Do you pray about things as, sim- as, as superficial as your, your car bills? And Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. I pray about other stuff. But this is what kind of the point of this series, guys. You know, yeah, I, it's not a guarantee, but of course I pray, but I hope you do. Okay, now, but let me say this. God specializes in bringing something from nothing. What do I, what, what's the real core of this? This is it, ready? Your sins, your failures, your regrets, your blown opportunities do not need to be the end of the story. That's what's the real takeaway. A God of infinite creativity. God is, it's his nature to create. He loves to create. And the reason Colossians not only says Jesus is the head of the of all creation, he's the head of the church because as that creator, he wants to come into your life and say, listen, where you think there's no more marriage, where you think there's no more hope, where you think there's no more opportunity, I want to take and create out of nothing and I want to create something. Let me give you just one example of this, of prayer that I pray a lot. David, the great um, king, who committed what? Adultery and Murder, okay, wow, wow. How down would you feel? How over would you feel if that was your story? And in the 51st Psalm, David prays these prayers. He says, God, forgive me against you and you only have I sinned. But he said this, create in me a clean heart. Now, if you look up that word, and maybe your Bible dictionary, the word create, it's the Hebrew word bara. And the word bara in Hebrew is a word. So this is a lexical de- lexicon definition. It's a word that only describes the activity of what God and God alone can do. It's the word used in Genesis chapter 1. And David knew this. I'm out of opportunities. I'm out of options. There's nothing here. And the only way I'm going to get off the mat is through a work of creation. And he said, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit, right? God specializes in making something out of nothing. Where do you need a work of creation today? Maybe you need a clean heart. Maybe you need a renewed spirit. Maybe you need love for your spouse that you thought, you're you're out, you're tapped. Or you need love for a broken relationship or maybe love for God, right? God specializes in creating something out of nothing. He's not just the guy who created the world. It's, it's, it's not just something he did. It's who he is. It's who he is. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for everyone in this room. And Lord, we just acknowledge, I do, that even as a pastor even as someone who's, you know, walked with God for a long time and been
been in your word for a long time, I still, sometimes, I, I put down the paper. I put down my own inner thoughts and I say, I don't get it. But help me to be reminded this morning, Lord, that Jesus Christ is not just the creator of the universe and my creator. He is at the center. It's through him that all this holds together. He is the interpretive key of everything. He is not just first or should be first in my life. He should be first in everything in my life. Lord, may that be our prayer. May that be our hope. May that be our our desire this morning. Wherever we are in this room, we invite you to be first in our lives. To create in us, Lord, your purposes. Send forth your word to achieve your purpose in our lives, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen.